Good morning, Fellowship Bentonville. Would you stand with us? Let's set our, att our attention on God the Father, on Jesus the Son. Let's ask the Spirit to be with us.
deserve this morning. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our attention. You are worthy of this hour. So God, we dedicate it to you. We give it to you again. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, church, this morning as we come together, this is my prayer for us. Psalm 34, 8, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good. And blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Blessed is the one who finds their refuge in God, who places their trust in God. Whether on the mountaintop or in the valley, blessed is he or she who puts their trust in God. May this morning, may we do that. May we taste and see his goodness, his love, and put our trust again in him. That's my prayer. Will you sing this with me? Let's look to him. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. Oh, he is my song. And let the king of my heart be the shadow where I for my life oh he is my son and you are
about six years ago, about this time of year, on a Tuesday morning, um, usually Tuesday mornings are times that I can uh, rest and recreate a little, create and, uh, and study and pray. And, and the kids had gone off to school and Joy had gone to run errands and I was sitting at my piano uh, in a, at our house imagining what it would be like to come into a room much like this, to a big sea of faces, uh, some of which I know and, some, and many of which I don't, and uh, come into a worship service heavy, going through something that the people around me, they don't even know what I'm going through. And, and I feel like I'm in darkness. I feel like I'm walking through a cloud what would it be like to come into a worship service like this? What might I need to remember? What might I need to sing? And I wrote the first verse and chorus of this song uh, that I want to sing right now. And, and I found myself this past week actually sitting at that same piano playing this song again because those seasons come and go. We don't always walk in on a mountaintop when we come into worship. We don't always walk in experiencing the felt goodness of God in our lives. And I just want to acknowledge that this morning. That may be you this morning. And the invitation to all of us is to remember and to remind ourselves of God's steadfast love in our lives. So if you're on a mountaintop this morning, wonderful. Sing this to remind yourself, to ground yourself in the truth so when that valley comes, you're ready. If you're in a valley this morning, know you're not alone. You're not alone. There are tens, twenties, maybe even hundreds of people in this room who are with you. And God is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Nothing can separate you from his love. So that's a place that we can hold on to. So let me sing this over us all and, uh, and join in if you know it. It's like this. You are with me in this moment. Yes, you have led me to this place. And though the darkness round me closing, I will hold to hope by faith.
read this prayer over you guys out of Ephesians 3. Just let this soak in. Let us have just an awe moment of who God is. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of this, his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's be in all of that this morning. The last time you stood amazed at something. Amazed. What does it even mean to be amazed? Sometimes it helps by knowing the opposite, right? The opposite of amazed is to be unmoved or to be nonchalant about something. 
And yet we are amazed, meaning in wonder, astounded at the love of God. Why? Because of how immense it is, how wide and how deep, how broad. I think that's why you can never go to the Grand Canyon without having your eyes go open in wonder. See, when we're not amazed, uh, when we're unmoved, our eyes kind of get heavy and asleep. But when they're amazed, when we're in wonder, they go open. And we say, there it is again. The love of God in Christ for us. Lord Jesus, right now, we need the Holy Spirit to wake up sleepy eyes to that truth. My eyes get too closed, too asleep by the things that distract me, by the things that truly are not amazing. And I need you to open us in wide-eyed wonder to who you are, Jesus, and your love for us. We believe you can do this. We can believe you can do this through your word, we believe you can do this through the power of your spirit. And so the people of God, as we open up the word of God, will now ask the spirit of God to open our eyes in wide-eyed wonder. And as our prayer in Ephesians 3 says, now to him by who the power that is working within us is able to do far beyond all that we ask or think, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And all your people say in wide-eyed wonder, amen, amen. Good morning. It's so good to see you this morning. I'm glad that you are with us in person in worship, if you're worshiping online. Uh, grateful that you're tuning in online, hoping this is a helpful tool for you. But if it's just a, a tool of convenience, we will never not say it. We miss you and we wish you were here. Yeah, it makes me sad when the body of Christ, Netflix life and church life look a lot the same. Somehow there we are missing something that's powerful when we come together, huh? We're glad you're tuning in if you need this, but we love to see you when you're back. Join in and join us. You know that uh, prayer in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, that now to him who is able to do so much more than we can ask or think, I find myself praying that a lot for you, for me, particularly when we're walking through something that is just hard. I have friends, for example, I've got a friend I just found out this weekend who found out he has cancer, and he and his wife tomorrow morning will find out how serious the regimen of treatment will be. I find myself saying, Lord, you can do more than I ask or think. Do something powerful in his life right now. I've prayed that for several others going through suffering and hardship. And then I find myself occasionally being prompted to reach out to that person and text them a text or pick up the phone, occasionally even drop by and visit. And the oddest thing happens. I go to encourage them only to find out that I am the one who leaves encouraged. Have you been there? That happens almost every time when I talk to Rosemary or Jim, or David and Connie, or jo Judy and Jody and Scott. You've experienced it too. What is it that causes somebody to walk through that kind of suffering and they have the power to actually encourage 
you. How does that happen? It happens because something is happening inside that person even while they sit through outward circumstances that are painful. Well, this morning we find ourselves towards the end of Ephesians chapter 3, and the Apostle Paul is in prison when he wrote this letter. Prison is hard time to do life for in any age and in any day. But in Paul's day, prison was horrible. And in suffering circumstances, he writes this letter to the Ephesian church. Now, you need to know that the Ephesian church and Paul were tightly bonded to one another. Every church Paul planted was probably like one of his spiritual children. He called them that. I sometimes wonder if Ephesians, the church at Ephesus, they weren't his favorite child. I know his parents were not supposed to have one. My adult daughter is the only one of my five in this service. So, sweetie, I'll go on record. You're my favorite. Last hour, it was your brother's. They were so tight that when Paul hurt, they hurt. Now, Paul's in prison, but the Ephesians are in distress. And so, in this hardship, Paul is the one who encourages them. This is the verse that Hunter left us with last week. It was verse 13 of chapter 3. It says, for this reason, I ask you not to lose heart because of what I am suffering. Paul has a strength in adversity. He's able to encourage others through his pain. Why? Because something is happening inside of him, even while he waits for the prison walls and the circumstances to go away. And Paul wants that same something for his friends in Ephesus. So he prays for them. And this is the prayer he prays. Verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And I'm struck by the obvious connection between this opening line of Paul saying, For this reason, I'm praying. What reason? What he just said in 1 through 13. What did he just say in 1 through 13? Well, you remember Hunter was teaching that, and, and Hunter was talking about this mystery of God building the church, him taking two radically different people, Jews and Gentiles, people who have nothing to do with one another, spiritually, racially, culturally, and he was doing something amazing, and 1 through 13 said he is making them into one new man, one new community called the church. Revelation tells us that at the end of time, all of that will happen in its full and final state. Every race, every ethnicity, every people group will all be joined together into one new person called the church in perfect unity. See, the point is this. God is doing that. God will do that. It's as good as done. So Paul says, for this reason, I now pray. Freeze. Have you ever asked yourself, why in the world should I pray if God's already going to do it? And here we're letting in, getting let into a secret of prayer. It tells us that we don't pray to get God moving. We pray in order to join God's movement. In other words, prayer is joining God in his work, his work in us, his work in the world. Prayer doesn't sell God our vision. 
Prayer doesn't strong arm or try to convince God to start to work. No, God is always at work and he will pull off his good plan. Prayer instead is God's invitation for us to actually join in the work that he's doing and delighted to do. And so what does Paul pray for the Ephesians? What is his bold prayer request as he joins God's work in that church? We'll answer that in just a second. But first, let me ask you, what is the bravest prayer you are praying right now? Your bravest, boldest prayer that you're bringing before God. Got it in your mind? I once heard someone say, what if God answered all of your current prayers right now? Would anything in the world change? Or would only something change in your circumstances? Reminding us to pray big prayers of what God is doing and join him in that work. What about Paul? What is that big and bold prayer that he has for the Ephesians? Are you curious? I am. The next verse tells us, verse 16. I pray that according to the wealth of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person. You see the request? It's really simple. That God would strengthen their inner spiritual life with his Holy Spirit. So the bravest prayer Paul could have prayed, he could have prayed for their, his circumstances were dire, their circumstances were depressing. He could have prayed for those, but instead his bravest, boldest prayer request is that they would have a deep, authentic, inside change that only happens by the Holy Spirit himself. So Paul prays that God's spirit would strengthen their spirit because that's the Ephesians' greatest need and that is my greatest need and that's your greatest need. Regardless of circumstance, our spirits need to be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I notice how this happens. The text tells us a couple of ways. It says it happens through his spirit. It also says it happens according to the wealth of his glory. Now notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say out of the wealth of his glory. It says according to the wealth of his glory. You know there's a big difference between out of and according to, right? So think about it this way. Imagine that I'm a billionaire. Got that in your head? How do you know I'm not, right? But imagine I'm a billionaire and I invite you to brunch after church and we go down to a street just off the square and I buy you an overpriced brunch. That would me be me giving to you out of my wealth. It's a small gift that came from my great wealth. But then imagine after brunch, we went to another street just off the square and I bought you an overpriced house. That would be me giving to you according to my wealth. I would be giving to you into the measure of my wealth, to the proportion of my wealth, and that is what God does for us through his Holy Spirit living in us. He gives according to the wealth of his glory, and this is not the first time he has told us this. Seven times in Ephesians, we're only at chapter three. He's told us that God gives generously according to the 
the stature and the status of his wealth. According to the wealth of his glory, verse 16. But in chapter 1, he said, according to the kind intention of his will, according to the riches of his grace, according to his good pleasure, according to his purpose. And then in chapter 3, according to the gift of God's grace, and then according to the working of his power, behold your God, let it go up in wide-eyed wonder. Don't you see the wealth? God is willing, and God is able. He's immeasurably willing to do his work in us, and he's immeasurably able to accomplish his work in our lives, to be strengthened with his spirit in our spirits. What's the result of that strength? When God moves in that willing and that powerful way, what is the result as he answers our prayers? Verse 17 tells us the result as the prayer continues, that Christ, remember, he wanted us to be our spirits to be strengthened by his Holy Spirit. Why? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith so that because you have been rooted and grounded in love. And I think this verse, as well as a handful of other verses in the New Testament, helps shape uh, some phrases we use to explain to people how they become a Christian. Maybe you said this to one of your children or to a friend where you say, we ask Jesus into our heart. I think there's merit to that phrase. I think those phrases are grounded in verses like this, that Jesus Christ does dwell in our hearts through faith. But don't forget, this Ephesians 3 verse about Jesus dwelling in our hearts has a context. And Ephesians chapter 1 told us 13 times that we dwell in Christ, meaning that's not just prayer as an invitation to join God in his work, but even salvation is an invitation for us not to ask God to get into our life, but for us to get into his life. We trade up to the greater life of God when we come to know him by faith. Prayer, yes, the prayer is asking God for the Holy Spirit to strengthen our, spirit, our spirits so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Dwell. We know what that word means. We live in dwellings. Most often we call them homes. It's the place where you call home. And the prayer here is that the Holy Spirit would bring an interchange in us so that Jesus Christ would be at home in us. You know when you feel at home, truly at home in someone's house. That means you feel comfortable in every room of the house. This is a prayer that Jesus Christ would be comfortable in every room of our hearts. And it does beg a question, doesn't it? Are there any places of your heart and life where Jesus is not allowed to be at home. You've kept him at bay. If you've ever gone on vacation and rented an Airbnb or a Verbo, you know that the owner family has that one closet that's dead bolted with their personal stuff. They're not comfortable with you going there. Do you have one of those rooms in your heart as it relates to Jesus? 
Maybe for you, it's the way you work and do business or the financial room in your heart. Maybe it's your dating relationships and your sexual life. I want to run my world, but not there, God. You can't go there. I'll do this. Maybe you've even closed off the parenting room of your heart. Lord, they're my kids. If you got too comfortable and did your way and my kids, you might ask them to do and live and go places that I wouldn't be comfortable with. They're my kids, Lord. Ironically, of all the missionaries we've sent out from fellowship, most often they'll tell us that the biggest obstacle they have to getting to a foreign mission field and following the good call of God on their life is mom and dad trying to squelch that because it's not part of that room that they have. Does Jesus have access to every room of our life? Is he at home? Speaking of homes, have you heard the term the HGTV effect? If you're in real estate, you might have heard it. It's a term that pops up in real estate periodically when a potential buyer thinks that that might be the home they want, and as soon as they go for their first showing, they walk in and they find that things are outdated. And so without even considering the home, they turn and they walk away. The HGTV effect causes homeowners, therefore, to spruce up the cosmetic changes of the home, put up some inexpensive gray paint, some granite counters, a little backslash, some brushed nickel fixtures, do something to make it look outdated or updated, even if they're cheap cosmetic changes. It's called the HGTV effect. That might be fine for selling your home. It's a disastrous way to try to improve the condition of our souls. That job has to be done deeper than a cosmetic change. It goes from the inside out. And to make sure we get this, Paul describes the, the spiritual life as one that's rooted and grounded. See those phrases up there, those verbs? Rooted, that's an agricultural term. Grounded, that's an architectural term. Both of those terms are telling us that the change that God wants to do goes deep in our lives. He wants to give us a new foundation that grounds us, that can handle the weight of life on that foundation. He wants to give us go underground and root us deeply into Jesus. I think that's why I love Justin Cranings and Max Grubbs' uh, artwork that they've done in this week's study guide. The beauty of the plant they're showing us is happening underground at the roots level. So it is in our spiritual lives as well. What aspect of Jesus does Paul want us to get as we go underground? He says, I want you to be rooted and grounded in, what's the next word? What is it? Interesting. We are going to have to be wide-eyed in wonder over the love of God if we are going to be rooted and grounded in him. In fact, the simple brave prayer is this, that God's spirit, God's spirit, he would be at home in our lives in deep and powerful ways. Look at the way he takes this. And we see that so that Christ will be at home in our hearts and we will be at home in his love when his spirit strengthens our spirit. We need the spirit of God to help us understand the son of God's love. You know why? 
because it's so large, it's impossible to understand fully. In fact, the prayer goes on into this. Verse 18 is the next line telling us simply this, so that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. This is a bold prayer. Paul is praying that God would enable us to know the unknowable. He's praying that we would comprehend. That means grasp. That's why we have phrases like, uh, did you get that? If you got that, that means you comprehend it. And Paul says, I want you to be able to grasp what is so big, it's ungraspable. The love of God is that large. And he prays that the Holy Spirit would help us know the love of Christ. When he uses the verb know, don't think in your mind, acknowledge the fact of Christ's love. That's not the biblical definition of no. The biblical definition of no is experience the reality of it, which is why Genesis chapter one has words like this, Adam knew Eve and she bore him a son. Now we know that no means to experience the intimacy of something in a way that produces a new life in you. And Paul says here, I want you to experience the reality of the love of God that is so large. And when you picture grasping the love of God that is large like that, don't think in your mind a child holding a large ball. Although that's impressive, that's not the truth of this passage. No, the truth of this passage is that Paul wants us to grasp God's love that is so large it's ungraspable. So it's more like a child who's lost inside a water ball. That's the love of God for you. Grasping a love that's so large that it has already grasped you. We hold on to a love that holds us. And that's how we grow deep roots in our spiritual life. That's how Christ is at home in our heart. See, intimacy with Jesus grows as our view of God's love grows. Can I say that again? Your intimacy and your experience of Jesus will grow as large as your perspective of God's love for you. That's how critical it is that we get the love of God and get a grasp on that that has already grasped us. Even the famous Puritan preachers of over 200 years ago, the Puritans and all of their good teaching were known for giving us the blessing of emphasizing God's holiness and our obedience. But even the best of Puritan preachers who emphasized God's holiness and our obedience knew that it was only grounded in somebody who got the love of God, which is why the best of their teachers, John Owen, said this, we are never nearer to Christ than when we find ourselves lost in a holy amazement at his unspeakable love. When you find yourself engulfed, lost in, 
with wide-eyed wonder of a love that is far too large. That love is unspeakable and sad, meaning it's indescribable. You're going to try to put human words to it, but you just can't find the words to describe something that's too big for language. Paul tries. Did you notice how he describes the love of God for you? He describes it in three dimensions. He says, I want you to know the breadth. Got the picture? The breadth. But then he says, I want you to know the length. You have the picture? What's in front of you and behind you? He said, I want you to know the, the height and the depth of God's love for you. Listen, if something is broader than you and longer than you and higher than deeper than you, where are you? In the middle of it. Swallowed up by the love of God. Not having to go look for it. But to open your eyes in wide-eyed wonder to the love of God that has already engulfed you. I know. It stretches my imagination too. Borrow a play from Hunter House and see if math can help explain it. That's a 3D graph, an X, Y, and Z axis coming together. Note to self, send email to my ninth grade algebra teacher apologizing for saying I'll never use this stuff again. Notice that you live in the middle of an access that is unending, higher and deeper, broader and wider, longer than you can imagine. And it keeps going on. Do you know why it's going to take all of eternity to enjoy God? Because that's how big his love is. In your first six, seven trillion years, you have just moved to number one on the axis. It swallows us up. You cannot turn left, right, forward, or backwards without seeing what God has done. You cannot fall deep enough into sin or rise high enough in your own righteousness to not see the love of God in Christ for you. God's love is an ocean that we are plunged into. What do you do when you're thrown into an ocean like God's love? You swim around in it. And like the fish, you drink it in. If you scuba dive, you know that the only people drinking in the water is the fish life below the surface because it's native to them. And the love of God in Christ is native to you because the Holy Spirit lives in your heart and he's strengthening your lungs to take in that water and be nourished and energized. The more we drink it in, the deeper and more intimate our, our walk with Jesus Christ becomes. And oh, we need the Holy Spirit to comprehend that. Because on my best days, I want to look to God and say, yeah, but. Yeah, but don't you see who I am? And then the Spirit of God expands our hearts. The prayer is simply this, and oh, it's bold. 
that his spirit would strengthen our spirit. Why? So that Christ would be at home in our hearts and we will be at home in his love. And secondly, that we would grasp Christ's love that has already overwhelmingly grasped us. Probably the greatest theologian of the 20th century, at least the greatest Protestant theologian of the 20th century, was a Swissman named Karl Barth. Karl Barth was so prolific in his writings. I tried to look up the library of what he has written, and I stopped at counting 41 books. He had a 19-volume, excuse me, only 13, forgive me, 13-volume set of just theology books containing 9,000 pages and six million words. He died in 1968, and a few years before he died, he took a U.S. lecture tour when he was 76 years old. He was invited to speak at the University of Chicago, and there he was in the famed Rockefeller Chapel, gave a series of lectures, and then took a Q&A time at the end. And a student stood up and said, Dr. Bart, could you sum up your life's work in theology? And famously, he said, I can sum it up with a line I learned at my mother's knee. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. His eyes got bigger in life, in wonder. And he was never unmoved by the love of God in Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was strengthening his spirit. See, that's what Romans 5.5 tells us. It tells us that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So the Spirit of God lives in us so that we will know and grow in the love of God. And when we know and grow in the love of God, Christ becomes more at home in our hearts and we become more rooted and grounded in him. That, men and women, is our bravest and boldest prayer. Quite simply, that his Spirit would strengthen our spirit so that Christ would be at home in our hearts and we would be at home in his love. That Christ or that his spirit would strengthen our spirits so that we would grasp Christ's love that has already and overwhelmingly grasped us. What do we do with a prayer like that? I think we have to pray it. In fact, I think Paul almost dares us to believe enough to pray a prayer like that which is why he closes this prayer that we would grasp the love of God that has already grasped us with our famous doxology. Let's see if we can get it up on the screen, Bonnie. It won't come up, but you know it. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what we ask or think, to him be the glory through Jesus Christ and in his church forever and ever, amen. Do you hear the strength of that kind of confidence? It's tied to a prayer that we would grasp the love of God. Maybe our application then of this morning's passage is that we would pray it. Could I ask you, could I beg you, I encourage you to pray Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. 
every morning this week, maybe even every evening before you lay your head on the pillow. Pray it for yourself, because I stand first in line of needing to know the love of God in Christ. Pray it for your family members. But then also include your community group friends in that brave and bold prayer, maybe even your neighbors. And maybe the best day to start that week is today, the first day of the week. Let's pray it together. I'm going to rotate these slides slowly through us and ask that you would whisper a prayer alongside. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Would you whisper aloud the names of who you're praying this prayer for? And I pray that according to the wealth of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith so that, you, that because you have been rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. like a hurricane I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy when all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great
pray this with me. Father, may we be a people that are rooted and established in your love. Strengthen us by the power of the Holy Spirit to know and obey you. Help us to reach out and experience the breadth, test the lengths, plumb the depths, and rise to the heights of your love. Fill us to your full measure, God. You have done, are doing, and will continually do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. To you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. When we came on the Amazon trip, um, what was very um, important for me to recognize is that what they were doing here on the Amazon was so much like what we're doing at Fellowship Bible Church. Um, they are producing and releasing spiritual leaders to express the authentic Christ to their villages. And it's just remarkable the men and the women that they're raising up to be leaders and not only just raising them up but sending them to seminary where they're learning more about God's word and how to go back into their villages and raise up other leaders and also just build a church where they have a body of believers where they can gather together it's just so amazing the same the similarities of the two and um, I was very excited when I walked on the boat and saw a big sign in the cafeteria area where we eat that had their mission statement. And it was just so similar to the Fellowship Bible's mission statement that my heart was really um, excited to see the same mission statement here on the Amazon River. I want to introduce you to my friend and part of this body, Brian Johnson, and he's the guy that leads that Amazon trip, and I wanted to give him a chance to talk to us just a minute about that. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Church. That video is actually filmed last spring break. We took 17 members from this body to the Amazon to one of the 30,000 villages that align the, that line the Amazon, and we were able to go and share the love and hope of Christ uh, to them. I know I've been doing this for 20 years, taking adults, everyday adults, to the Amazon to go do God's work. And so you don't have to be some crazy scientist or pastor trained. I mean, we take everybody and we see that God works through all adults willing to go and raise their hand and go and serve. What I found is there's two things that happen when you go and serve. One is you get to see God work on a global stage, especially to those that are the least of these. These people have nothing and live on the village. And then I also see that God works through everyday people. So raise your hand. Go out there and see how God can use you on the stage. So we're now getting ready for next Spring Breaks trip. We have a booth out in the back there. Would love for you to come by for us to share a little bit more about how you could 
maybe this would be your best spring break ever, right? So. Hey, thanks, Brian. Also, we, uh, along with that, this, this March, don't know exact dates yet, we're also going to be taking a trip to India. And I'll be in that same booth. And if you have some questions about that, I can give you some ideas uh, about that. And then every spring break, our student ministry uh, tries to take our students out on, on mission trips to expose them to God's work across culture. And uh, if you have a high school student, if you're a parent of a high school student, there's a meeting for you immediately following this service over in the student ministry uh, building to talk about those spring break trips, okay? Hey, would you stand with me? And we're going to close by reading the very end of that uh, passage of scripture, that prayer. So let's read this together as we go. Now to him who by the power that is working within us is able to do far beyond all that we ask or think, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.